be bear, burden bearers in the lives of those in our community. Amen. So I, I, I love, I love, I thank you that you were willing to let us come up and do that. I, I know that's not, we're, we're, we're Americans, right? We love privacy. We love high fences, eight foot fences in our backyard so nobody can see into our life and know what's going on. But that is not how the body of Christ is to be, right? We share in each other's lives and we share one another's burdens. And so I, I appreciate you allowing us to share that burden with you. And so. We continue on in the book of Luke, and uh, we've hit, uh, we've kind of been along, and we've hit a point in the book of Luke where there's a shift in things, even with brand new colors, right? Off of the green, I'm just being silly. But we've hit a shift now that Jesus is changing his ministry. This man is going to be changing up what it is that he is about, and it's going to last for about 10 chapters. But in this reading, and and this is one of those places that, uh, as we read, uh, very few uh, translations bring this out from the the original Greek idiom that happens there. We often don't understand. But three times, Jesus says in this passage, in the first three verses, that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Three times in the first verses, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face toward his final destination, where he would be going. Luke has shown us where this story of this incredible man would lead. And at this point, all roads from here on out will lead to the pinnacle of what this story would be about. This is a shift in the story of Jesus. And things from here on out will all point to what's going to happen in Jerusalem in Jesus' face, let me say it again, is set. Say it for the third time. He is determined to fulfill what he was sent to do. And the journey along the road that we're going to follow in these next few weeks will be a revelation to the disciples, a revelation to the people of Judea and Samaria, and even to us as the readers of what this man and what all of this is meant in the end, what it is all for. So we've been looking, the last few chapters have been the question over and over and over. Do you remember what question has been asked about this man, Jesus? What was the question that's asked over and over? Who is this man, right? Many have asked, who is this man that can do so many things? And now that that question has been answered for us earlier in this chapter both by Peter and by Yahweh God himself, that he is the Messiah of of Israel, that he is the beloved son of the heavenly father, that he is the chosen one. It is now time to accomplish his mission. And we won't get to the end of this mission until we get to about chapter 20. So what we must do, I believe, along with the disciples is we must learn along with them and walk along the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. And what follows after this man and what it looks like living in the kingdom and what that would mean for each one of us. So I've titled this section, The Revelation of Jesus Revealing to Us What His Destination Is and What That Will Mean for All Who Desire to Follow After Him. So join with me in this section. It says in verse 51, it says, Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, to be brought up back, and if you know the end of the story, at the end of of Luke, and then going into Luke part 2, the book of Acts, Jesus is taken up to be with his Father. But until that time comes, he gives a little hint that that's what's upcoming. 
It says he is set. We don't see it. Jesus set out resolute to go to Jerusalem. And what it says there is that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And that is exactly where he is going to go. Nothing would deter him in his, in his way. And it says that he sent messengers on ahead of him. I love that in the, kind of the idea here that he sent apostolo, he apostled, messengers, angelos, angels. Interestingly, he sent, he apostled angels to go out before him into these towns in Samaria. It's kind of an interesting thing when we think about apostles, when we think about angels, they're sent ones who have a message to proclaim and to prepare the way. And it says that he sent them as they went along, they entered, right, to make things ready. To, they went along to be in, the, in front of or before the face of Jesus, set before his face. But when he arrives, what did they do? They did not welcome him. If you remember earlier in the story, though, earlier in the book of Luke, how had the Samaritans reacted when Jesus showed up? Very welcoming, right? Very welcoming. But if we recall, just mere verses earlier, Jesus revealed to his disciples that something was going to happen to him. What was that? That he would be rejected. That all of the good times, guys, that you've been having all along the way, the times of goodness in all of these people, the crowds of 5,000 in the feeding, they may be coming to an end. They were welcoming, but now they reject him. Why? Because a third time, what says what? Why did they refuse him? Because he was determined. He had, third time, set his face to Jerusalem. But why here and now? You know, Jesus has told us that, you know, he, the Son of Man, earlier was being rejected, killed, and now all of that is beginning to start. All of that rejection, here is the first, first situation. But why here and now? Why in these Samaritan villages? It really becomes down to, because of honestly, because of a, a long standing, hundreds of years of ethnic history and biases that are there. And when they hear that Jesus is no longer coming just to where they are, but he has his place set in Jerusalem, right? That's where he's headed. He can't be for us Samaritans. If that's where he's going, there's no way he can be for us Samaritans. We have our own place in the north in Gerizim that we worship you Jews worship in the south. If you read John chapter 4, you've heard that before. This is not a common thing. I am heading to Jerusalem. Well, then you are nothing for us. And all of those biases, all those racial things that come into play, now they're there here. There's too much history to overcome this bias that's in these people. But he would not be deterred. He would not let those things happen. But I also think there's, it's interesting here, too. What happens when they hear the disciples, James and John, kind of like Peter. Remember, they had just gotten down from where? The mountaintop, right? They've been on the mountaintop. They've seen Jesus. They've seen Elijah. They've seen Moses and all of the glory. And things are going well for them. They've been arguing who's the greatest. And what do they do? They get this grand idea. This grand idea to do what? To bring down fire upon the ones that reject Jesus, right? Where in the world did they get? Do you ever wonder where in the world did they get that from? Like, I don't normally think, well, they rejected Jesus. I think I'm going to call down fire upon him. That sounds like a great idea, right? 
I mean, I, like, I go, man, where is it? You know why, where it came from? They knew their Bibles. They knew their Old Testament extremely well. But they're missing some pieces along the way. They were sent as what? Messengers to go before the Messiah, right? They, we just seen Luke says they were sent as messengers to go before the Messiah. Where have we heard that in the Old Testament about messengers sent before the Messiah would come? Anybody? Here's your Bible trivia. It's kind of late in the Old Testament. It's very late in the Old Testament. Anybody? What? Say it. Malachi, right? Malachi chapter 3, that I will send my messenger ahead of you, and he will be in the likeness of who? Anybody? Starts with an E. Elijah. Hey, those of you that are new here, by the way, uh, there's a lot of new faces here. I like to ask actual questions, and I love actual answers. So if you're new... I do. Please shout them out. You can be wrong. I love wrong answers as much as I like the, the good ones. It's okay. I'm wrong often. They saw themselves as the messengers. These are Now, I've been sent out as a messenger, as an angel, as a messenger to go out before to prepare the way for the Messiah. Little do they remember that somebody else had also been sent earlier in Luke, right? In Elijah's place. But these people, they saw themselves as Elijah fulfilled, I believe. And they are going to rain. Like this, now, this part seems weird, though. They're going to want to rain down fire upon their enemies. Where in the world does that come from? Again, they know their Bibles. Go back a little bit further. This is probably one of those stories maybe nobody might, you may not know this one. The book of 2 Kings, how it starts out with, there's a prophet of God who is alive in the beginning of 2 Kings. Anybody know who that prophet is? Take a wild guess. Elijah. Elijah is a, a prophet of God, and he sends a message out. Where do you think he sends a message to? Just take a wild guess. To, where are we right now? Samaria. He sends a message out. Elijah sends a message out to Samaria that they, because the Samaritans are wanting to come into down, and they want to take over. And, and he says, because you only want to come here. You don't want anything to do with Yahweh God. You just want to, you don't believe he's a real God. You want to you know, ask of Baal and the other local gods. And he says, just stay in Samaria. So you know what the king of Samaria does? He sends 50 men down to Elijah to meet him. 50 men, which is fascinating to me. It's one guy, okay? You don't send 50 soldiers down to go get one guy. But he sends 50. And they show up to arrest Elijah and bring him back because this guy doesn't like it. And you know what Elijah says? If I'm not a true prophet of God, he said, if I am, the, sorry, sorry, he says, if I'm a true prophet of God, may, what do you think happens? Fire come down and consume you. And what do you think happened? Fire came down and consumed them. Word, I, I don't know how word gets back because all 50 of them seem to die, but word gets back to the king or they, maybe they just never come back. He's like, I need to send 50 more guys. They go down and Elijah says, if I'm not a true prophet of God, what do you think? May fire come down and consume you. What do you think happened? Fire came down and consumed them. Not getting the point, the king of Samaria, what do you think he does again? Sends 50 more guys down. Now, this commander is a little bit smarter than the other two. He gets there, he falls down in his face, says, I already know. He's probably seeing the charred bodies of his buddies sitting around going, I'm no dummy. I don't know what's the matter with those guys, but I'm no dummy. Please spare my life and please spare us. And you know what Elijah did? He went along willingly. Now, where do you think... now? A message was sent to the Samaritans to prepare the way for the prophet to come you know, and, and do this. Did not want to listen. 
And so Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume these people. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think James and John might have gotten this idea when they go into a Samaritan town and they don't listen that they might have gotten this idea from? They know their Bible, right? Side note, just because you know your Bible doesn't necessarily mean you're always good at handling it, right? You may have some really poor handling of it. But I think, you know, they, they, and they're saying to Jesus, I think, well, Jesus, do you want us to do that? It worked back then, right? It worked then. And Jesus says to them what? No. He rebukes them and says, that is not what I'm about. That is not what I want for the people as they come into the place. I want to offer to them what? What has he been preaching all along? Repentance. To understand the kingdom that he came to put together. Not destruction. Now, let me say this, though. I do believe that what they were, in a sense, understanding about the ultimate rejection of the Messiah and that there would one day be judgment that comes along, that would be a true thing, but it's what? Not yet. What does Second Peter say? say that the, the patience of God is there for us to all what? His desire is for all to come to repentance and to the knowledge of truth in his patience that he has. It was okay, judgment would come one day, but the motive and the timing were quite a bit off from these guys. These men still don't quite get the discipleship, but they will. They will. They will get it. And then we get to verse 57, and along the road it says, right, they, as they, so they left there, they went to another village. As they were walking along, I love, they don't even get to where they're going. Three things happen, right? There are three encounters of men who have the desires to follow him. And Jesus will give, interestingly, not three encouragements, but three what? Warnings about following him. And what I want to do, for those of you that are new again today, I'm sorry, you get, you get a very in full indoctrination of what we do here from time to time, okay? Something we do, I'm gonna, I want to touch on these three warnings just quickly, but then what we're going to do is we're going to break up into some small groups, and we're going to take some time, and I've got some questions for you. If you have them, if you're giving them coming in, great. If not, I'll also pass them around. We're going to break up into some small groups of people around you, and we're going to discuss. We're going to get in the Word together, and we're going to talk about what this looks like in our lives. What is Jesus calling us to? And then we'll come back together for a quick bringing together to see where we can pull this together for us to, to walk forward in this. He gives us three warnings. The first is this, verses 57. As he was walking along, one said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He just was rejected, right? But this guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I'm not going to reject you. But Jesus says, foxes have dens and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'll follow you. And Jesus says, are you sure about that? No place to lay his head. It's not just merely about homelessness, okay? It's not that he just doesn't own a house yet. He doesn't have the money to buy anything yet. It's not what it's about. But it's about what? The reason he has no place to lay his head is because he has been what? Rejected. Walking with Jesus means alienation from the world. The world does not want you, and the world will not provide quarter, Jesus says. He does, if you want to follow me, the world will want nothing to do with you, just, and it will not provide you any quarter. They rejected me in a town, 
And following me, me means the exact same thing for you. Be warned before you come following me. If you enjoy being loved, find another path. Warning number one. Alienation from the world. Warning number two. The man comes, another says, Jesus now comes to another. He's walking along. Another, follow me. Right? Like he had said to Matthew, the tax collector, who had done what? Got up, left his business, and came and followed him. The twelve follow him. But this man says, but he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Follow me. No, Jesus, first, let me go bury my father. And in the Jewish time, I will tell you, this is of the highest honor at that time if for any son is to bury their father. And if you did not do it, it would also be a high shame upon you as a young man to not bury your father. Now, it is possible. It is possible one of two things. We don't know. Is this man's dad alive? And he's saying, hey, I'm going to wait until he dies because I need to bury him. And I have to wait around until that happens, and then I'll come follow you. It could be simply that his dad is dead, and what was happening often in that time, just as a cultural thing, you would bury the body in a tomb, and once the body has basically rotted away, that you know we didn't have the things we have embalming, you would go back in a year later, and you would grab the bones, and you'd collect them in a box in an ossuary, and you'd bring it to your family place, and you would put them together. It could be simply that his father has already died, and now he's got this year of waiting until he's somewhere in this waiting period until dad has completely, is completely ready to go in his final place. But for Jesus, he says it what? It does not matter. Jesus says, leave it all behind and come follow me. Because your first priority, he says, should be proclaiming the kingdom. Nothing should delay our focus on the kingdom. Not, it's not, I have to get a job first, or I'm waiting for that right job to come through. I'm waiting until I finish school before I go and do, follow you, Jesus, right? I've got to finish school first. Well, actually, I'm just starting my family. I've got a marriage coming. I've got to do that first. Oh, we're about to start having kids. Once they start growing up, we will, or, or maybe, you know what? I'm in debt. Once, I, once I've made enough money, I'm settled. Things are secure in my life. I've kind of settled in. We've got our house. The yard is all put together. And eventually, when we will, or you know what? God, whenever I'm done working and I've got retirement on my hands and everything's good to go and everything's out of the way, now I'll come and follow you, right? Or Jesus, I'm new in town. I don't know anybody. I just got here. I'm new in this church. I don't know anybody here. After I have, right? Jesus says those things are for the dead to worry about. Set your face to the kingdom and set your face about proclaiming it to others today. Warning number two is that it means proclamation comes first. Warning number three. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, the first guy just said had no qualifiers, right? This guy, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom 
of God. I'll follow you, but first. No, Jesus says, commitment must be first. Our third warning, commitment must be first. Nothing else is first in this life. And the next words that he has are actually a very high calling, I believe. Putting a hand to the plow and looking back, he says, is not fit for the kingdom. What's the goal of plowing? Now, we don't have combines to get $500,000 combines that you can set your GPS by, literally, and sit there and the farmer's sitting them and they, have a, they read a book. I've seen it. It's quite amazing. I mean, they don't have to do anything. They just, doop, 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 boom. It maps it all out. They don't have to do anything. What were you doing? You were grabbing ox or horse or whatever, and they're strapped up to your plow, and what are you doing back there? You're directing that thing. You're not moving it, right? You're basically keeping it what? Straight. Keeping it on the right, the right road. And if you're holding it right, and it takes a lot of work, it's a very heavy thing, it's very difficult, and you've got to keep on moving, that animal's going to keep on moving whether you are or not, you've got to keep your hand to the plow and you're rowing straight rows in front of you. It is a hard road to hoe. And what happens, or what will happen, if you start looking back to see how straight your old lines are going to be? I can guarantee you they're not going to be, when you look back forward, you are not going to be on the right path. Jesus said, The goal of plowing is to make straight lines. What happens if you look back? You get crooked lines. Before you set your hand to that plow to follow after me, Jesus says, you better know what you're getting into. Because when that animal starts moving, that plow is going, and you better be sure, absolutely sure. Commitment is first, and not only that, but it must be constant. No letting go, no turning back, no worrying about how straight that one was. That I'm looking at the next line that it's straight today, right now, and that I'm moving into what tomorrow will be. I think, if I'm being honest, I think I understand a little bit why people may be rejecting Jesus. We love to create an easier Jesus to follow, one that doesn't cost us so much. Do we not? I'm going to stop there. I'm almost done. I've got a couple of thoughts, but I want us to break up. We've got some handouts. I don't, you know, whoever you want, you can break up with the people around you, get in the groups. Don't just sit out at new people. Don't just sit with your spouse, the two of you. Break out, all right? You can, the two of you, go join somebody else's spouse, but break up. And I would love to see everybody taking time. We're going to take about 15, 20 minutes to get in the, the Word together. Open up the Word together, discuss it. And I know this is new for some of you. You can sit there and be quiet, but, but be a part of that. And we're gonna, I'll bring us back in about 15, 20 minutes. The, words, the questions will be up here. I'll also get some more and pass them around. Feel free to move the chairs. We've got lines. We can move them back, all right? So ready, set, go. You know, I asked a question like, have you counted the cost, right? We all need to answer that question. Have I counted the cost? If I say that I want to follow Jesus, do I understand what following Jesus demands of us? If you recall the words in the Sermon on the Mount, narrow and difficult are the ways that lead to life, the way that leads to life. And there are what? 
I, I hate this word that Jesus used. There are few who find it. I wish he hadn't used that word, few who find the way. Because the way is narrow, it is difficult. Few find it. But broad and paved and smooth, like a brand new blacktop that's you know, just lovely to drive on, is the way that leads to destruction. And another one that I hate he uses, there are many who will find that. Jesus set his face. He determined himself to go, and knowing full well what was set before him. He set his face to do what he was called to accomplish. He calls us just as much to set our faces, knowing what that road includes. And for many of us, I think that's a heavy calling. That's a crushing weight. But take heart church. Take comfort in knowing that for those who say, I haven't found that yet. I haven't found that way yet. Take comfort in those who say, I'm not sure I've overcome my reasons that would keep me from saying yes yet. Because you are in good company. Recall the words of Moses. Who am I that you should send me to Pharaoh? I am not able to speak well. Recall the words of Gideon, who, God, I am not the right one to lead this. I am of the least in my family to do this. Or as Jeremiah said to God when he calls him, I am unable to speak for I am merely a youth. Who am I? Or as Isaiah says in the presence of God, woe To me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Not only that, I am in the midst and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Amen? And yet, each of these, however reluctantly they did it, did what God asked. And God blessed their reluctant discipleship. Every failure, I believe, from every failure before Jesus is an invitation to repentance and to blessing. He is a patient God. But he calls us to follow him wholeheartedly. So I ask you, church, where is Jesus asking us to travel? Not yesterday, not looking back. Not where have we traveled, but where has he called us to travel today, tomorrow, and moving forward? Are we ready to follow him wherever he goes? Let's pray.